Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Sheila McElroy, who is a change agent helping companies build an aptitude for social impact and community engagement and propelling authentic change in the world. As a consultant and speaker, Sheila guides companies to develop a social impact proposition and roadmap for community engagement and connecting employees to purpose. Sheila's superpower is seeing the invisible barriers that often prevent teams from completing the change they desire to see in the world. I'm so excited to speak with you today, Sheila. So let's just jump right into this. Great. Thank you, Summer. Absolutely. So Sheila, before we get into your professional background in history, can you take us on a bit of a journey about where you grew up, some of your wisdom that you gained over the years and picked up along the way, and how this journey has impacted and contributed to your professional life. Sure, but you may have to cut me short because this is one of the <laughs> things I can talk about forever. I grew up in, I grew up 55 minutes north of Grand Central Station in Manhattan um, and in California or in Jersey, you identify yourself by what exit. You, you know, your exit off the highway. Uh-huh. No, in the area that I grew up, you identify yourself by your train stop. So I just say I grew up in Croton on the Hudson because that was our train stop. And it was a magical place to grow up. It really it was steeped. In, it's steeped in history. It's geographically and architecturally absolutely gorgeous. It's, you know, God's country. Yeah. And it just is soaked in history and people have a real respect and reverence for that. And at the same time, you're within spin distance of New York of the city. And so it was, you know, I grew up popping on the train and going down to, you know, at 14, 15, 16, and just like hanging out in Broadway and going to, at the time you could, um, at Lincoln center, you could walk in and watch the uh, ballet do rehearsals um, wow. and same thing with the opera and all that. So, you know, I grew up really, we did not have a lot of money at all. I was, you know, my two brothers and I were raised by a single mom, mm-hmm. um, but she really also appreciated that and was able to instill in us an eye for beauty. And I, if she gave us any one fantastic gift, it was, imagination it was or you know cultivating our imagination cultivating creativity and also being able to say one of her favorite lines was imagine back when the Algonquin were still here you know meeting our Native Americans in the area so she would always kind of instill that think about who came before you and all of us really carried that through we all have a great respect and we also have all of us have a great eye. Um, we used it in different ways. And um, so I think that that really, and she also let us believe that we could do anything. 
again, she wasn't a woman of a lot of money or education or anything, but she didn't believe in limits. And at the time when I grew up, that was pretty remarkable, you know, for a woman. So absolutely. That was pretty progressive yeah. thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So it was great. You know, like it, there was so much independence for me to get on a train or when friends were driving to go explore someplace. So I just, you know, grew up doing that. You know, that is so wonderful because it really opens up your horizons to what is out there in your, your lack of fear for exploration. It was really there and you were able to explore the world on your own. My mom, same thing, single mom gave me a bus pass and said, this is your, your way out. Like this is your way to the world. So use it. And I did, I was out and about, and I didn't wait for a ride. I used my bus pass. So I walked everywhere. I took the bus, I grabbed the train, I hitch a ride, you know, all that and just go. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me through this personal journey and through growing up, how did this contribute to your professional journey? Well, percentage wise, it probably contributed, (laughs) you know, like 90% about what I was doing. But um, I sort of a joke with some friends and myself that at the time when I was growing up and we were all kind of setting career goals, et cetera, that my professional guide was not the book, What Color Is Your Parachute? My guide was the New York Times Arts and Leisure section. And, and I, that is actually true. I wanted to do all, but not that I wanted to be a ballerina and do this and do that, but the whole the roundness of it, the quality of life of it, because all those things, music, art, theater, food, travel, they all connect us to our past as well as setting us pretty firmly in our, in our present. Right. And, and we're inspired. So we looked to the future. So it, it really was uh, very much a part of my growing up. Um, Now I'm going to jump in here really quickly, Sheila, because when I read that in your bio, I loved what you said there about not following the book, what color is your parachute, but the New York times art and leisure section. And I've got a little story and I want you to expand on that because I found it interesting because when I was teaching at Webster university some years ago and teaching a course called career transitions into a stressful marketplace, the administrator wanted me to read that book. What color is your <laughs> Of course, everyone read that. Yes. I mean, and what iteration, what edition, what, yeah. a, right? And so yeah. when I saw that, I, I laughed to myself because I'm like, oh, that's the first, one of the first books <laughs> they want you to read in regards to career transition and so forth. And I loved what you said though, about the New York Times arts and leisure section being your guide and how that contributed to your life. And I think you talked about that when you talked about your past and jumping on that train and going to sit in and watch them, you know, the opera or the ballet perform or rehearse. Mm -hmm. So expand on that a little more and how that really kind of influenced. Sure. Um, It's one of my favorite topics because (laughs) I, I thought everyone did it. So first of all, I thought everyone had the experience that I had because I had a limited world. I'm like, doesn't everyone do this? And again, we had no money growing up. And I think that that um, was also kind of freeing. I wasn't 
pushed to be in a particular career. I wasn't. The only thing I can say is that when I decided to not go to art school, my mother actually welled up with tears. She, because both my brothers went to art and design school and she was like, what do you mean? I said, no, I'm going to go for writing. And <laughs> she was like, well, I guess that's okay too. Cause you've always been doing that, but I don't know. Um, but the arts and leisure section of the New York times guidance, um, the structure of that, the freedom of that and the true inspiration and the locale that I grew up in formed everything about who I am. And I think if I really had to boil it down, it allowed me to time travel. It allowed me to look at a chair that was designed and built by hand in, you know, 13 something or other, or in 18 something or other. I mean, I grew up with houses that were from the 17th century, right? Right. 17th century as well. So and say, well, I have a chair and here's a chair. And that's as pretty, that look would look as pretty in my bedroom now as it, you know, like the, so there's actually, a, so that stuff, all that stuff that we talk about, tables, chairs, flooring, what, utensils, cups, plates, that's called material culture. And material culture connects us to one another, regardless of time. Right. And so that has always, that's why I was always in, intrigued. And um, so I loved paintings. I was a culture junkie as a teenager. Um, and I would, you know, go to the galleries at the Met. The Met was like my second home. Oh, Metropolitan wow. Museum of Art. I'd go to the Cooper Hewitt. I would look at the wallpapers and the beauty and the magic in those pieces. Um, to me, a William Morris wallpaper is like looking, it's like the visual interpretation of Midsummer Night's Dream by Shakespeare. Right. So design and any of the arts connect you to the people who wrote it, designed it, created it at that time. So it led me, it, it just kept sparking my curiosity. And as you know, I'm very curious and that's been a, that's a core element of who I am and my work and that stuff, those tangible things, the arts, they connect us to different aspects in history. So, you know, why would you have that design over that doorway? Oh my goodness. That is warding off the evil spirits, or that's a sign to your intruders who don't read, who don't read, or, or, or to, um, you know, they would have symbols over doorways or on yeah. doors to let you know yeah. that this is a safe place to come to, that you are safe, right? Right. Um, so these secret languages, the, the, the connections of cultures. And I learned, you know, I, I would hang out in the, the, um, at the Met, at the Egyptian rooms. And here I would just be sitting there and, and looking at the objects of, you know, the Egyptian culture that is, you know, uh, BCE, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a way for me to learn and understand and connect with history far better than I ever could in a book sitting in Hendricuts in high school with somebody just droning on about events. And by the way, you know, white men events. <laughs> yeah. And so that was when I understood 
that, oh, this war happened here, but at the same time, here's the architecture, here's the art, here's what people were wearing, here's what music they were listening to. Then I could understand they were real people at a real time, no different than we are. So those, that's just how I understand the world. And I'm a visual person, not, not surprisingly, <laughs> I'm a visual person. And that's how I understand the world and the world around me and how I learn about people. And it's all, and it's all stories. Then it comes down to the story right? and storytelling. And we realize, and this is all my work. Um, it's the storytelling and, and identifying and realizing we have more in common than, than we don't. Right. And, um, and these are values and ethics and interests that cross all cultures through all, through not just generations, but through centuries. Right. Okay. You know, sitting in the Damascus room in the, which is actually a series of rooms in the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art as a kid, not only has set my design aesthetic to this day. Um, but also I was like, wait a minute, where is this place? Where, where's Persia? Cause Persia, right. where's, right. what is, what is Persia? What is right. this? What is that? Oh my gosh. That's what they reference in the Bible. Oh, now I know what they're yeah. talking about. Like, and you know, so it's an experiential learning. It's a visual learning and, um, yeah. And I think for me, it created a world without boundaries. Yeah. I you know, love the that. African art. I mean, you got the African art section or museum of modern art or the museum of the native American. And, you know, it's, it's inspiring, right? Nothing else. It was inspiring for me, you know? Well, it, it is inspiring. And I'm sure it was inspiring for you because you were able to bring that into today and apply that and yeah. use that and really kind of map that, wind that into your love for what you do today. Let's talk a bit about your motto, explore, create, share. Yes. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, explore, create, share, which just has evolved over the last couple, you know, over the years. But for me, that. um, to explore for me means to look outwards and to without fear and with, with minimal reservations um, to see what's out there, what other people, what other cultures, what other people have done, created experience, how they express themselves. Um, But it's also the natural environment. I, I'm a real nerd about um, plate tectonics and geology. <laughs> so oh, wow. I love terrains and will study terrains and, and literally look at like terrain maps and, and all of that. John, I'm a huge fan of John McPhee, um, which has, you know, how the land looks depends on how people settle, where water is, changes where different animals, where people settle. So all that mm-hmm. is you know, I'm a map nerd as anyone, (laughs) any David Rumsey map fans out there will know what I'm talking about. But um, the, the connection, the the exploration is kind for me is the going out is the moving out and reaching out, whether I'm creating words or helping people connect to one another. I find that super creative. Um, 
how I design my, my living space, how I design my life, the clothes that I wear. So I explore, I go out, I get the information, I bring it back. I use that to, to create whatever. And then I want to share it with others through podcasts, through writing, through the work that I do and teaching others how to, how to do that. Um, I often say, <laughs> like, what is it that you do? I say, I'm an ambassador for possibilities. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what explore, create, share um, is the basis for that. Yeah, I love that. And I think that really says a lot in relation to, yes, it being the basis for that and sharing that information, your wisdom, your excitement and bringing community together, which leads me to my next question. One of the other dynamic aspects of your bio is how you help companies create the B in D-E-I-B, which equals diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging for their employees and the community. I would love to hear more about that. Thank you. I'm not being presumptuous. I do not, I'm not a DEI person. Mm-hmm. I don't believe I'm the right person to, to help others dive deeper into that. I'm trying to learn every day about more about DEI, but I do know about the B, which is belonging. And I've worked with for, I can't believe it, over 30 years to help people and help communities be places where everyone feels they belong. Okay. Okay. So I am a student. I've been in the uh, neighborhood and downtown revitalization business for 25, 20 years. Okay. Um, with boots on the ground, feet on the sidewalk. Yeah. Um, working in those communities for full time for over 10 years. A, a organization called Main Street. Um, and then I did it throughout my consulting when I had my consulting firm, my historic preservation consulting firm. And it's not just a matter of having a neighborhood or any, you know, any space that you fix it up and have a party and invite people and they have a good time. All that is important. And the economic uh, vitality of that neighborhood is highly important. All these things go together. But if any person walking down the street has had the feeling that they don't belong there or they can't relate to that community, it doesn't mean that you have to feel like, oh, this is my culture spread out before me, you know, specifically. It's the sense of belonging. So if you're in a community or if you're, let's visualize here, if you're in a neighborhood and you walk down the street and you're like, oh, this is pretty, this is nice, but it still has that feeling of otherness Mm -hmm. that you don't feel comfortable walking in that door or you don't feel comfortable and sitting down and ordering a coffee or whatever it is, then there's something wrong there. Right. And whatever that is, and I'm not here, I'm not in the business of pointing fingers Um, I think we have to say, how can we do this better? So how we do this better is understanding who are the people who are living and using or wanting to use that space. And I think one of the things that I've really been working on lately is helping businesses understand they may have the best of intentions right? um, to say, yeah, you know, our employees love to go out into the community and do good. 
But if the employees are are set out one day a year, by the way, or two days a year, and they wear their company t-shirt and they go out into the um, local soup kitchen, let's say, and, you know, they're doing good work, that's important. And then they walk away. If they're not, if they're not sitting next to the people to whom they are creating that lunch for, even if it's for a few minutes, if they haven't walked the neighborhood and, and understood who's living here, who's sleeping here, who's working here, it's, the intentions are great, but it's still very, it's on the surface and there's still a separateness, everything from the, the company t-shirt that they're wearing saying, this is us and we're not you. Right. Now there's a variety of ways you can do to alleviate that, which is obviously, obviously part of my work, but there's still that separateness, that otherness. And that's just kind of, you know, I obviously I can talk about this for hours. One of the best things you can do for a community is to bring food and a ball. And when I say a ball, I mean, is your to have open space, green space, pocket parks, places where people can sit down and play a game of chess and have a cup of coffee and no one cares what your day job is Um, or throw a soccer ball in the middle of a field and say, let's play, right? Get some jump ropes out and who, who wants a hula hoop, right? These are things that we can do together and you don't have to speak the same language. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't need a pass to get in the door, whatever those things are. And there's a endless number of ways to do this. And that's what I help businesses and communities and neighborhoods understand how to connect more with the people who are living there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just shocking how to me still after all these years, it's shocking to me that people who live and work in a space have never gone from their getting out of their car to, you know, the office building that they work in and they don't know anything about where they are. Yeah. But we do that in our own homes, by the way. <laughs> right. And, it, and it's, it's not just these people coming in and changing community. It's then displacing community and feeling like those people who have lived there for years feeling displaced either emotionally, physically, or otherwise. Yep. And so there's the reverse of that, right? Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to forcibly move someone out of their, of their house. You don't even have to, I, I don't want to get a backlash here. You don't even really have to force them because the housing value has changed. Right. How you're really forcing them out is, they can no longer shop, eat, play, and maybe work in the place where they've lived for possibly, you know, for decades or generations, right? right? If you take away their cafes, you squeeze out the, 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 what I'm market, the market, the ethnic market, right? Um, I'm the person who's recruited them back into neighborhoods. So yeah, um, yeah, that's how you, that's how people really feel displaced as you take away or you wash away their culture in a variety of different ways. And that's subtle and not so subtle. Right. Um, Murals that have been up for years that get painted over. Yeah. Buildings that are demolished. You know, I'm a historic preservationist. Buildings that are demolished that, 
they lived in, grew up in, or their, you know, their, their uncle may have been the bricklayer for you remove these places and you put up something that they're like, we don't know what this is anymore. And you take away the character of that neighborhood. That's when people feel like they don't belong anymore. So it's complicated and complex because there's so many different ways that you can, um, kick someone out that they, that they feel like they don't belong anymore right. without literally just dis- physically displacing them. Absolutely. As I said, cultural displacement, right? It's cultural displacement. It's emotional displacement. It's physical displacement. I mean, there's so many ways that you can displace yeah. communities yeah. of people. And, you know, growing up in California, looking around the Bay area, it really makes me happy when I actually had a class in the arts and in various cultural classes that I absolutely love to take. So I would wander around San Francisco and I would go to places like Coit Tower and San Francisco City College. And I would see murals that still existed from years and years ago by yeah. Diego Rivera yes. that still exists there. Right. Yep. And so it, for me, that was like, wow, okay, I can see the history and we're still embracing culture and we're still teaching this and we're not displacing people because these things are important. They're yeah. important. They're part of the culture. They're part of our history. And so, um, anywho, there's a lot of, that we can go down so many different roads. We can go down so many, different, so many different roads. And yeah. this is so exciting because I am somebody, a community connector. I am somebody who builds yes. communities. And if you don't bring community to the table, when you're trying to make change, right. that change isn't <laughs> going to happen very smoothly, nor might you even be successful with that change. So as successful as you want to be. But also, I want to say one thing before we sure. I just want to wrap that up is, you know, I'm working with an organization in Kansas City. And one of the things I said, and, and they are focusing on a predominantly and traditionally historically black community and community, right. I should say, they're not just one, but they're very focused. And I asked the simple question, when was the last time you went out to the community and asked them what they thought? Right. It was like silence. Yeah. The silence. And I was like, well, how about you close the street for one afternoon, put six round tables out in the street, put a topic for each table and a facilitator and just have people come to the table and talk about that one topic. And they were like, whoa, you know, ask them what they think. Remember the last time they were doing all this stuff, air quotes here for their community, but they they hadn't asked the community what they wanted or what they thought in so long they couldn't remember. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That is amazing. And that is exactly what I used to do working for nonprofit is I used to actually go to the community centers in the various neighborhoods of these communities and have conversations with the community, bring the community partners into those conversations where they're talking to the community and they're making progress. They're just not forcing or imposing change. Imposing, right. Right. Exactly. being made. Right. Change is being made at a faster rate than you can do any other change is being made, but it's not, it's not dictated. It's not imposed. It's it's organic. That's what I help facilitate. Well, I love that. I absolutely love that. We have covered so much ground here. (laughs) So I like to ask a question before we close Sheila. So that is, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would those words be? 
when it gets down to it, I'm still probably an 11 year old. So I think what I would say to everyone is to explore, explore your neighborhood, explore your mind, explore the adventures around you that are there every single day. Allow yourself to be inspired every single day because it'll lead you to answers to your questions in ways that you never, that you just can't force. So yeah, get on your sneakers and go explore. Well, thank you, Sheila, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you so very much, Summer. It's been delightful. Awesome. You can connect with Sheila McElroy on LinkedIn, Instagram at noodlingaround underscore SF and her website at SheilaMcElroy.com. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great. Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love, and Money Collective, a core women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.